Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And we are back on the Believe in the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Golden, a Jets X-Factor. I got my co-host, former Jet running back Lamont Jordan here with me as well. Cut down day has come and went. We are through the preseason. We are very close to the regular season beginning. Lamont, I know you are just as excited as me. We are going to go through the roster, go through the cut downs, who made the practice squad, who let go, who were we surprised to see land on the roster and the final 53, as well as we're going to talk about CJ Mosley's recent restructure. We can sort out all the mess with that. I've seen a lot of confusion going on with that. But Lamont, I want to start things off in the essence of the time period just what it's like for the players when you've made the 53 man roster and then what it's like, you know, seeing guys that you were just with all summer, not be there anymore. Um, well, to answer the, the, the last part of your question, cut day is tough, man. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, t- it, it's tough, especially if you have a heart. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you know, sometimes you, you, <clears throat> you know, you know, you, for the most part, you know, who's getting cut early on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you get down to that final cut and I, and I think that this cut is a little different just because it's less preseason games, things of that nature. Yeah. They went from 80 players to 53 players. The cuts yeah. went from, you had a 90 man roster to an 85 man roster to an 80 man roster to a 53 man roster. And it jumped uh, a lot of guys got cut all in the same day. Yeah. And so you know, I know we talk a lot about, you know, preseason and, you know, you know, why do you have four preseason games where well, you give guys an opportunity to continue to continue to audition for their dream? Um, yep. With that, with that said, it's tough because you can see the, you can see the guys who are holding back the tears. You know, you can see the guys who who. Yeah, they got cut, but you can see that they got life, that they believe that they can make it, like they have a confidence about them. Um, and then once those guys are gone, it's just like, you know, you come to your first practice, you don't have the practice squad guys there. So it's pretty much just your solid, you know, just just your guys, you're out there for that first practice. And so um, once the cut happens and you get into to, to now, it's, it's, it's preparing for the season now. Everything else, all the politics, all that. Now it's it's hey, let's go. It's 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 football time, and that's that's really the mindset. You made the fifty three man roster, so um, from a financial standpoint, you are you know you're safe. You know you're getting paid your you're getting paid your base salary. That's what a lot of people don't understand is that when you look at a contract, and, and I can speak for my time, and I'm sure it's still that way now, is you know if I have a base salary this upcoming year and I don't make the 53 man roster, I don't get paid that money Uh unless you have a guaranteed contract. And so it's a big deal for a guy to get through training camp healthy. It's a big deal for a guy to make that 53 man roster because your salary is dependent on it. And so now that you've made it, you've gotten through healthy. Now it's really, it's about let's, let's get ready for the week one go out there, get the victory. And as Herman Edwards always said, I'll never forget this. He always said, it's a race to 10. It's a race to 10. Who can be the first to get 10 wins? 
Yeah, and that really is what it is. And it's, I don't know if sad is the right word because I'm sure that there is some excitement when you've made that roster and you are upset to see people close to you go as much as you are hoping, you know, hoping the best for them. You're still excited for yourself, but it really is kind of an an interesting dynamic where you got to flip that switch and be like, okay, that sucked guys. You know, I was friends with are gone, but now it's football mode. We're in the season, right? First weeks, first games, two weeks away. And and you really got to dial in and get everything focused for the season. And and it takes a lot of, a lot of willpower and a lot of mental, mental strength to be able to flip that switch in that way. And they, people say all the time, the NFL is a business that doesn't make it easy. You know, that doesn't make it, you know, automatically just everyone understands and there's never going to be any hard feelings or, or anything close to it. So it definitely is an exciting time. Um, I know that most of the players are just relieved to have made the roster if they are on that bubble and they are closer, if they are cut and they're hoping to get claimed. And then I'm sure there's a great feeling when you are claimed, but you're right now it's season time. And now all the focus is going to be looking ahead towards the uh, start of the year and week one and all the hard feelings and all the, the sad, you know, goodbyes are over and we got to look towards this first game against the Ravens. Let's get into these roster cuts. Cause I do think there is some interesting, uh, interesting makes and some interesting uh, subtractions. I'm going to start at the running back position naturally with you and myself. That's always our favorite thing to talk about. And mm-hmm. our guy, Bam Knight made the roster. And he made it over Tevin Coleman, which is not what I was expecting. I was expecting if Bam Knight was going to make the roster that he was going to stick as the running back four and that Coleman was going to be in running back three. And that would be your group of four being Brees Hall, Michael Carter, Tevin Coleman, and Bam Knight. They swapped Coleman for your guy, Ty Johnson. Shout out University of Maryland. And Ty Johnson seems to be the running back three with Bam Knight now as the four. I thought that was really interesting that I really thought the staff liked Coleman and his veteran presence was going to keep him around. I I agree with you. When I first saw this, I was like, whoa. Um, And then, and then it hit me. And I believe we talked about this on one of our previous shows where I talked about, if you're not a starting running back, sometimes that, that roster cut comes down to special teams. And if you look across the board right here, especially at Ty Johnson, Ty Johnson, when he was at the University of Maryland, he was, I want to say he was darn near on every special teams. And so I think that that had a lot to do with it. I also think that Brees Hall coming in, him being a combination of Coleman and Carter, um, you know, it provided some leeway where you could say, hey, we can, we can let him go. And you were talking about Zonovan Knight early on. And I think that you predicted or said that you, you know, you think that when it's all said and done, that he will be a part of the roster and, and he sure is. And I think that he's another guy that adds depth to this backfield. And so it, um, Coleman is definitely a shocker, which puts a, a, a heck of a lot more pressure on Brees Hall. Um, and then from a pass protection standpoint, I think that this is where Ty Johnson comes into play. Wouldn't surprise me one bit if we don't see Ty Johnson on third down situations uh, early on in the season, if you look at this, he is the veteran running back in the backfield now. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. And I think that's a, that's a good point. And you said something earlier that I want to expand on when you were talking about special teams. And I think that there's something to this, but I also think that there's a little bit of avoiding redundancy when it comes to building your roster. And the jets did that at tight end as well. And I want to get there next, but I want to keep on running back for a second. Tevin Coleman, as good as he is and as good as he still was, 
was never going to be the guy that's going to outright take the corner and burn you for 80 yards. He's going to explode through the hole. His acceleration was great. His zero to 60 was awesome, but he had that little bit of a cap out at a top speed where he wasn't going to outright break away. And then at this point in his career, and even when he was younger, but especially now, he wasn't as agile or as quick in short areas as he used to be. And he's very much a, if the hole was open, I'm going to hit it and hit it hard. And it's going to be nine yards at least. And that's going to be it. But if it's not there, he's not as able to kind of cut and dance and make around and find some holes that aren't immediately open. So I think when you look at Bam Knight, and this is where I was talking about special teams, Coleman contributed on special teams as a possible kick returner. So does Zonovan Knight. And so if you're looking at it of what do these guys do for us, they both can run with power between the tackles. They both can hit holes and accelerate well they have the speed to get the edge when needed make some explosive plays may not be taking any 80 yard touchdowns but they might get a good bit of 20 and 25 yard runs we saw against the giants the last preseason game bam knight had the longest run of a jet that day for a 22 yard gain up the left side so if they don't need coleman for that and they don't need coleman to return kicks and they don't need coleman as a receiver because they're keeping ty johnson and they have michael carter and they have Brees hall then yeah go with the undrafted free agent then why keep Coleman around if he's going to be a veteran, you know what he is, and you have this young player that you got for pennies that you really think might be something. I can understand it more with them keeping Todd Johnson. If this would have been the three running backs and it was just Carter, Hall, and Knight, I would have been really surprised. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I like what they did to the running back position. I mean, everything that you just said makes perfect sense. Um, and I think it kind of, it, it kind of supports what we've been saying on this show about, you know, why the Jets fans should be excited about the direction of this franchise. Yeah, it really does. They've added, they find ways to keep finding talent at any sort of level. They keep adding explosiveness, which I think is something this team lacked for a very, very long time was just raw speed. And mm. now they have a ton of it and you have, they know what they like. They have a style. They have a preference. They know what fits their schemes and they attack it and look for it. And Bam Knight's another one of those guys where used to running in his own run scheme, has the acceleration to get the corner light on his feet, can make quick cuts and change direction is a good dead leg and runs with power when he needs to. I mean, that's what they needed. And another running back in their room, they already added Brees Hall. This is just icing on the cake. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. All right, let's get to tight end because this was quite honestly the biggest surprise of the entire roster cuts for me was them keeping four tight ends. Uh, so you have, if I'm remembering this correctly, I have to go back and find the roster. You have Tyler Conklin, you have CJ Uzama, you have Jeremy Ruckert, who was the third round pick this year. And then Lawrence Cager, the converted receiver, sticks as the fourth tight end. Now this really surprised me because I did not think he was going to make this team. And the reason I didn't think he was going to make this team is because I just didn't quite see enough out of him in the preseason as a blocker to make me think that he was going to be able to stick as a tight end. And I thought he was going to be a limited role as more of a gadget player. And if you're familiar with Jawan Jennings in San Francisco, who's another was a bigger receiver, not quite as fast, but very physical blocks. Well, for a receiver runs hard, runs through tackles kind of plays a receiver H back tight end hybrid, basically get him the ball out in space on bootlegs and let him run guy. That's where I thought they were seeing cager as, and I was a little worried that if that's all they were seeing him as, is that going to be enough of a role to have him stick on the 53? When I did my, we did our 53 prediction on Oklahoma drill uh, last week. 
we literally got down to 52 out of 53 positions and we had the last position down between Javelin Gidry and Lawrence Cager for the 53rd spot. Javelin mm. Gidry is not on the team anymore. Javelin Gidry mm. was cut and claimed by the Cardinals. Lawrence Cager stuck on the 53. We made the opposite pick and we kept Gidry and we cut Cager. So I'm interested to hear how you feel about this, Lamont, because I haven't gotten to talk to you much about Cager at all. But this was a real uh, surprise for me. And I think the reason he stuck, like I said earlier, was avoiding redundancy. Now they have another guy that can be a receiving mismatch at tight end that isn't quite CJ Uzama and isn't quite Jeremy Rucker and isn't quite Tyler Conklin. And he's a unique player and they can draw up plays for him himself and that no one else on the roster can really replicate. So I guess, as I was saying, that role that they had planned for him must be bigger than we thought. Um, I, I really didn't see enough out of him. I really didn't either. I didn't think that he was going to make the team. Um, keeping four tight ends. I, I would have to go back and look and see how much he contributes to special teams. That is the, that is the only thing that I can think of. Um, and again, with team, with players getting cut, I, with players getting cut, players can still be moved, things of that nature. Um, I, it, it's, it's just shocking to me um, that he's on a roster. It's shocking to me that they have four tight ends. Um, but it also yep. tells me that, you know, maybe this is part of what they're thinking about doing offensively is focusing more on having a two tight set. Um, and again, it comes down to a special teams. It, it comes down to a special team situation. Think about it from think about it from this standpoint. If you're playing in a game and you know that you're about to have bad weather and it's going to be hard to throw the ball, that is a situation where you may come into a game and say, "I want to come in with one less wide receiver and let me bring in another tight end." Now, that's why I have to say. I have to look at what his what his contributions are towards the special teams because this to me, if I have a choice of okay, who do I want to create a mismatch with? Do I want to go with Hall? Do I want to go with Carter? Do I want to go with Johnson? Do I want to go with Knight? Do I want to go with Davis? Do I want to go with Wilson? Do I want to go with Mims? Do I want to go with Berrios? Or do I want to go with Lawrence? <laughs> so for yeah, me, I know. And so for me, it's just it doesn't make sense. But this is one of this is one of those situations where we just have to wait and see. And I think that this I and I think that the Jets front office up until this point um deserves the benefit of doubt of 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 all of the fans that we just sit back and just wait and see what this move actually produces. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. You're a hundred thousand percent right. This is not the move to be questioning Joe Douglas and Robert Sala and saying they don't know what they're talking about. And this team is is run by people who are idiots. That's not the case. This is a, a tight end four we're having an argument about. This is not, you know, it's not the end of the world here. This is not like a we're both shocked. We both didn't see enough out of him. And I'm glad you're echoing that statement because I felt fairly strongly about that. But just because we may not have seen enough for him to stick on the 53 doesn't mean that this is a terrible decision outright and it's never going to make any sense. And you're 100% correct in that we don't know who else might be available. 
we don't know who else might get released if another team has a player that they end up wanting and they release somebody to make room for them and the Jets want the guy they released and maybe Cager's that odd man out who makes the 53 at first and then doesn't after another guy becomes available you know I think there's definitely a possibility there the other thought I had and this was I was thinking trying to get in the mind of Joe Douglas and I was thinking about roster construction and position designation So the Jets kept five total wide receivers and they kept four tight ends in our 53 prediction on Oklahoma drill. We had them keeping six receivers and three tight ends. I'm there's a possibility. They look at cager as both. And Mm -hmm. so they view him as ability. Well, if we keep cager as tight end four, then we can have a fourth tight end and we can have a sixth receiver because he was a former receiver. And if he, plays a big slot role or something like that maybe he gets lined up outside every now and again then he can be a sixth receiver and we can keep him as a fourth tight end and have that slot and he can kind of do two at once if there's something to that then I understand it as you're trying to get two players in one but I'm sitting here from the side of if that player is is a half caliber player at both those positions you're not getting two positions you're getting half a position both times and, and I would rather have six receivers that I know are receivers and that I know I really like and three tight ends that I know I have and know I really like then five receivers I like three tight ends I like and one guy who I'm trying to find a role for so I'm I'm a little skeptical again this isn't tear things down run up to one jets drive with pitchforks or anything like that but I'm curious to see what happens I'm curious to see if he does end up sticking on this team the role they have for him this year because outside of a gadget player I can't see it being much more than that I can give you another perspective to look at and and I'm I'm looking at the depth chart here on ESPN. Nick Baldwin, fullback. Um, he's part of the 53 man roster. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing IR by his name. And in most situations, if you carry a 50 if you carry a fullback into if you dress a fullback and a fullback is a piece of your offense it may not be a major part but it's a Mm -hmm. part in what you do most of the time that fullback is a special teams person if that fullback is unavailable the next best option is a tight end so this could be a situation where maybe one of these tight ends operates better from a fullback position, which that could be Cager, which can create those matchup issues that you were talking about, because now you're lining up in regular personnel. You put Cager in as the fullback, you're in a 43 defense. Now you have him matched up with the linebacker. So this could be a situation where if Baldwin is on IR and a tight end is the person who, who typically will replace the true fullback, it could be a situation that once the true fullback comes back, now one of the tight ends get released. So I think that this is definitely one of those let's just wait and see type situations. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the fullback position because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And for the Shanahan system in particular, which is where Michael Floor is coming from and getting most of his system and offensive play calls, their run game, for as complex as it is, the most important runs in their system outside of their 20 uh their 12 personnel uh wide zone runs are mm-hmm. there 21 and 22 personnel runs with a fullback 
Yes. That is, that is where Kyle Shanahan makes his money is in 21 and 22 personnel sets with the run game. That's where Michael floor wants to make some of his money as well. We saw them add a pullback last year. They had Wesco in the role for a period of time. Bodden came in slightly and then got hurt. He's been hurt through most of this summer, which is why I think he was on IR. He hasn't had much time to practice, but clearly they like him as they're keeping him on the 53. And even if he's going to be on IR, they're still keeping him on the 53. Uh, You know, fullbacks are not the most amazingly coveted position to where if you have a guy you really like and he's on IR and you you need another guy, it's not uncommon to make a cut and sign a new fullback. Clearly they like Bowden, otherwise they wouldn't be bothering keeping him but I was really expecting to see them look into the, the claim market to see if they could add a fullback. And because I know how important it is to this offense. I know the run game that they wanted to have, especially with Brees Hall, having that fullback in to run those specific sets. It, it's crucial. It's, he's the lead blocker on a lot of their best run plays. And it was because Kyle Shanahan had Kyle use for so many years in San Francisco to make it work. He was able to create so many good plays using the fullback. So mm-hmm. I expect them to use a fullback. The thing is, you were you're not wrong with your idea that tight ends, you know, would sub in and make the best fullback. It was just the wrong player because Jeremy Ruckert's already been doing that in preseason, mm. where he's been lining up at fullback. And I think that fits him a hell of a lot better than it fits Lawrence Cager because Ruckert can block. Ruckert can get in on a defensive end and kick him out. Ruckert can not can take down a linebacker. No problem. You want him to go insert on a bob block on an ISO run? Sure. Jeremy Ruckert's gonna put his teeth in there and do it. I'm sure Cager is going to have the effort to try, but he's just not going to have the physicality or the technique to go in and take on Mike linebackers in the hole and stand them up and dig people out and create lanes for a running back. So unless you're keeping him as a fullback for play action passes, I I just, I I don't see much of a role here. And again, I could be wrong. Maybe Michael floor loved Jawan Jennings when they were in San Francisco and said, you know, I love having that guy. You can do so much with him. And now he's got this guy in Lawrence Cager and he sees a lot of the same things. That's basically the only conclusion I can come to because other, I I can't see any reason to, to keep him as a fourth tight end or as a sixth receiver. If it's not going to just be, like I said, to draw up those plays for him where he can catch and run and, you know, be a mismatch on linebackers. That's great. But we have a ton of guys who can be mismatches on linebackers. So I'm (laughs) it's, you know what you know what i'm going to end on a positive note because lamont the one thing that we have talked about going months and months back to the season even last year is our dream offensive set for the jets where everybody on the field runs four three <laughs> yes we'll we'll now make cager the tight end so now so now you have elijah moore braxton barrios garrett wilson Brees hall and lawrence cager and everyone's at four five four four five flat at least so you know maybe that's what they're trying to do yeah, we're gonna have to wait and see. We're gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Um, I'm excited for this season. Uh, I'm excited to see where things progress. Last two guys I want to talk about before we move on to CJ Mosley's contract. We alluded to it a bit earlier. Uh, that being Javelin Gidry to start off. Mm-hmm. Javelin Gidry is really the only player the Jets lost through cuts that they didn't able that they weren't able to claim back for their practice squad that I'm actually upset that they lost. They lost more players. They had more players claimed than any other team in the NFL. I think by threefold where a couple of teams had two players claimed the jets had like seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that speaks to the talent on the team and losing that many players. You would think I would have felt a lot worse being like, dang, you know, I would have loved to keep him. And these are the tough decisions you make when you have a talented roster, 
I didn't really feel that way, but I'm hurt that Javon Guidry is on the Cardinals. Yeah, he was, he was a great backup slot and I don't know who was going to be the backup slot now. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I I'm definitely with you on that. Um, <clears throat> but it's one of those things that, you, you know, I'm going to go back to the front office as jets and it just shows you that you can lose a guy like that. And basically you're not going to lose any sleep. Yeah. You would like to have him, but when you're talking about moving forward and trying to have a successful season, um, it, it's it's just like, hey, they've just done a great job of constructing their roster. And you also have to tip your hat to the coaches because to have that many players get picked up, that just lets you know, especially players who were here last year, that just lets yep. you know, that just lets you know the job that the coaching staff has done. And so Yes, he's a player that you look at and you and, and you say to yourself, man, I was really excited about him. Um, and then it goes back to, you know, it goes back to to Cager, you know. <laughs> I know. Back, you know, yes, it goes back to Cager. But um, it, that's just part of it. I know what it's like as a player where you see a guy make the team and you're just like, how the hell did he make the team? <laughs> And I'm gonna be honest with you, it's a sick feeling. And and I'm and, and look, <laughs> if you're the guy who made the team, and people and 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 you and you're being looked at, and it's just like, man, man, how did he make it over him? I really think this person would have been a lot better. All oh, life can be hard for you. You better not mess up. Every oh. time you make it's, um, and it's not so much, and it's not so much that people are getting on you as much as it is the, just the aura that's, that's around you. Yeah. It's and, the aura of respect. It's, yeah, that, it's yeah. that acceptance. It's that, you know, if we, if we don't think that you were good enough to be part of the team, then are you part of the team? And, and it's, it's tough being that guy. I'm sure it's incredibly tough being that guy. No, it's very tough. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's very tough being that guy. Um, but once the season starts and you get out there and you're playing, you don't worry about it and you don't think about it until that player is on the field and they mess up. <laughs> <laughs> you hope for them, you believe in them, they're going to have to prove themselves. But the second they mess up, it's just like, gosh. And then, and then you watch the guy that you let go, go to another team and actually do well. Yep. Yeah, that's what's going to be hard is, is I think Gidry is going to find a home in Arizona. Yes. You know, they have some holes at DB. He fits their profile of small, fast, twitchy. You know, I, I think that he's going to be able to, to have a way there and stick because I think he's a talented player. And I really think that, he was good enough to be on a 53-man roster. And like you were saying, credit to the front office for building such a talented team and the coaches for coaching up so many of these players that they were desired by so many other teams. You know, it's you're going to have those tough decisions and guys that deserve to be on teams are going to end up being released. And this time it just happened to be Gidry. Uh, the thing I went back to, and again, I keep referencing, you know, our Oklahoma drill prediction, but I was really, really set on this and I'm really surprised it went the other way we were looking at the roster and like I said, we got down to Cager and Gidry as the last spot. And the deciding factor for me was that we had three tight ends ahead of Lawrence Cager on the depth chart. 
yeah. we had one slot corner ahead of Gidry and being Michael Carter the second. And mm-hmm. so if Carter the second goes down at any point in time, you don't have Gidry, which they now don't, you're going to either have Bryce Hall or Brandon Eccles play slot. And both of them have played outside exclusively for pretty much their entirety of their Jets careers. So not to mention Bryce Hall was competing with Sauce Gardner for the outside spot all season. And Eccles was playing backup as the, as DJ reads backup on the outside and the other side. So none of the, these guys weren't practicing in the slot for any point in all over the summer. And it's for people that don't understand, there's a big difference between playing corner in the slot and playing corner outside, especially in a zone defense like this with the pass off rules and knowing your keys and knowing where your eyes have to be having a guy that's never been in that role slide in and expect to take over and be fine. That had me worried. So I really thought that, that Gidry being a primary backup was going to be enough to keep him on the roster. I guess not. The Jets must just feel confident in their overall corner depth to, to not think it's necessary. Yeah. And, and, and I think the other thing that you should have to look at when you're talking about the slot corner is that person's ability to tackle. Um, and so I, I have Gidry was a good tackler. I know he was. Oh no, he was a good tackler. I, I really, and I'm not saying that. <clears throat> I'm not saying that to say that he wasn't a good tackler because that that's to me that's the thing that I really liked about him is that I thought yeah, he, like, he in the open field for being five yes. nine, no yes. problems. Yes, yes. Um, so whoever plays that position, whoever plays that position, I think is a guy that's what is fully capable of doing the job. If there's one thing that I love about watching this Jets defense, and and I just watched this throughout the preseason, and it didn't matter if it was the first or the fourth quarter, they were consistently fast and everybody was getting to the ball. Yep. They, everybody was getting to the ball. And it kind of reminded me of the defense of the team that were playing the first week of the season, the Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. Watch the Ravens. If you watch some of these really good defensive teams, you see that it didn't matter if it was the first quarter or the fourth quarter, whatever players were on that side of the ball, they all got to the ball. A person made a catch. It wasn't like somebody made a catch unless it was a busted coverage or it was down the field, but anything that's with was it was within 10, 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. You just always saw that people got to the ball. And so if you're a guy that is taking his position or playing his position, you better be a guy that's able to come up and make tackles because that's something that he did. To me, he was one of the enforcers on the defensive side of the ball. And and this is another situation where we just have to wait and see how this pans out. Yeah, it's going to be the the wait and see game. I will say the good thing is that Michael Carter II appears to have, you know, picked up right where he left off, had an awesome interception in the Giants game, playing cover three in a curl flat, and just baited Tyrod Taylor as he was rolling out. Uh, so there's confidence there. It's not like, you know, we're finding a new starting slot. We have a guy who was there last year, started every game he played in, played really well as a rookie, a fifth-round rookie nonetheless, and is now appears ready to continue and ascend more into his second season. So that's a big help. And Carter's a good tackler too. So mm-hmm. it's it's not like, you know, he's a liability in that aspect either, let alone in coverage. I thought he was perfectly fine as a tackler as well uh, for most of last season. 
but that's going to be the thing with Gidry for me is that I thought he was an excellent tackler. I thought his speed and his quickness and ability to change direction can really help with those two way goes in the slot where you're basically having to play square and play stack the entire time and, and pray that you can keep up. And, and I really thought that Gidry, you know, fit that mold, but like you said, that's where it gets tough. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens if Carter ends up missing any time this year, who's going to fill in that spot and who would they trust to, to fill in that spot? I'll say this. Not that I'm expecting anything to happen, but it's going to be a pretty dang bad look for Bryce Hall if Michael Carter misses time and Bryce Hall isn't the corner three. Yes. That's all it, it, all I'm going to say. And then to be 100% fair, I don't think the slot fits Bryce Hall. I think he's made to be an outside corner and that he might not do as well in the slot and it might be a, a bad situation from the start, but that's why you keep Javelin Gidry and that's why you don't worry about it. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Again, we're talking about cornerback fours and tight end fours. The starters have been vastly improved. The overall talent on this roster is leaps and bounds from where it was a few years ago. And we're having conversations about guys that were cut that we wish we could keep for the first time in a long time. I remember doing the 53 prediction last year uh, on Oklahoma drill. And I, we were trying to get to 53 players we wanted. Uh, we couldn't even find 53 players that we felt like were worth keeping. We're like, really? We have to have 53. I have like 21 right now. And you're telling me I got to find another 20, 24 guys. So there's, it's definitely an improvement. Uh, and the last thing I want to talk about with this roster cuts, we were talking about this a little bit before we got on recording Lamont. We hadn't talked about it at all, but we had the exact same feeling. And that's why I love doing the show with you because we see the game the same way. Chris Trebler, the, the preseason hero, the, the, the comeback kid, the unknown before this preseason comes in, has three straight come from behind victories in the fourth quarter, two of which were touchdown passes to Calvin Jackson Jr., who's a receiver they got back on the practice squad. I'm really glad they got him back on the practice squad. I loved what I saw out of him on preseason. He had two game-winning touchdowns on the same play which I thought was hysterical that it was the same smash concept from the same formation from the same side of the field to beat the Eagles and then beat the giants like two weeks later. Strebler was able to get after getting cut, which I don't think many people were surprised by. He was able to get back and made his way back to the jets practice squad. And that is huge. Lamont, go ahead and tell the people why that's so big. That is huge. First of all, he, he, he's a scrapper, man. And, and I think he showed that throughout the season. Um, but when you're talking about it, I really like the guy. I'm just trying to figure out where to start. Let's start for Let's start about what he can do as far as preparing our defense for the quarterbacks that they're going to face, especially, mm-hmm. especially week one. Um, although he, and, and you know, you, you hit on this when we were talking about this earlier. Yes. Although he is not Lamar Jackson, he's the only quarterback that you have. That's going to allow you. That's going to give your defense a look. Yeah, it's even going to be close to Lamar yes. Jackson. Yes. But Mike White and Joe Flacco, for whatever they are, cannot have any sort of mobility that is going to make a defense react the way that Lamar Jackson makes a defense react. Strebler isn't that way either, but he's significantly better than Mike White or Joe Flacco. Yes, and that's critical because when you're talking about containing a fast quarterback, keeping them inside the pocket, your angles are critical. And so having a quarterback that can simulate that, even if it's not as fast, but given, having one that can simulate it and get close to it, it allows your defensive ends, it allows your defense to get used to setting their angles. Because if you take the wrong angle, that's where big plays happen. And, and that's what we can't have. Secondly, I'm not completely sold on Flacco. 
and and if for some reason let's look at a worst case scenario that Zach Wilson isn't ready to go if one of these two guys go down we need a quarterback and I'm happy that they brought back a guy that a the team likes the fans likes um when you think about coming into the season being able to finish your preseason games in the exciting manner that the Jets did with him being at the quarterback at least if it gets to a situation where you're down to your fourth string quarterback, at least it's a situation where, Hey, yes, it was preseason, but this guy has already proven at a, he can handle things. He's poised under pressure. B he has teammates that believe in him. Um, and I'm just not completely sold on Flacco. I like white. Um, but I'm just not sold on our second or third string quarterback. And if you, and, and, and I'll let you talk about the point that you made about being able to still run your same offense with him. Yeah. This is the important thing with Chris Trebler. Fans should be hoping he beats out Mike white during practice this year and becomes the quarterback too, for the foreseeable future. That Mm -hmm. that's best case scenario, quite honestly. Because, and the only difference being arm strength, which I think you're going to have, you're not going to have many guys that are going to replicate Zach's arm, Flacco being one of the few still at his age, which is why he's the starter, outside of having the arm strength to throw a ball 80 yards over the mountains and call deep shots that you don't get to call for any other quarterbacks unless they have arms like that, having a quarterback that can be close to or similarly to mobility as Zach Wilson is really important for the offense because there are plays in this offense that take advantage of Zach Wilson's mobility. We've seen them run some moving pockets. So they've run some play action sweeps and then they roll the pocket another way. We know how many bootlegs this offense has and no, you don't need to be Lamar Jackson to run bootlegs, but it certainly helps. It adds a threat to the defense where if they have to play contain harder and they can't just have a guy out waiting on the edge to go and make a tackle or trust that their contain can catch up on the backside. So there's a threat from that angle when you're rolling the opposite way. That's another part of it. And I think that we've seen Flacco and white struggle a little bit when they've had to roll to their left. Strebler is the mobility aspect to be able to get that done as well. And the read option plays, we've seen them run that on the red zone with Wilson a handful of times last year. I think they could do it again in short yardage, especially now with, all of the speed they have on this offense, like we were just talking about, you're going to have another guy in Strebler that can come in and run those same sort of plays where you don't have to change your offensive structure much when you have your backup quarterback in. And the last thing I want to say about Strebler, just sticking on the topic of him specifically, by far, the number one thing that impressed me the most about him was his decisiveness and his ability to process what was happening in front of him. This was a guy that did not take any reps in practice during training camp. He was a scout arm. He wasn't really with the offense, learning the plays as regularly, taking reps and and really going through things like the other top three quarterbacks were. He was in the meeting rooms. Obviously, he learned the system, but he came in late. He wasn't nearly as experienced as these other, other guys who had been doing it since going back to last year. Doesn't get any reps in practice. And then he comes into the preseason, sits through most of the game, comes in in the fourth quarter, different guys in and out that he's throwing to different guys up front protecting for him. And it was like, none of that mattered. And it was just, he had the ball and he knew where to go with it. Hadn't been around the offense that much. Didn't matter. Hadn't, you know, not too much practice time with his receivers. Didn't matter. None of that seemed to matter. 
he just seemed to be, and I hate to use this word because it's a cliche and because it's not based in any sort of actual analysis, but he's a gamer. And when the lights are on, he's able to perform. And it's one thing to get lucky and do it once, but you do it three times in a row, that's a pattern. You do it, you know, over and over and over, that's going to say something. And it just, I, I was honestly, I was blown away with his ability to play under pressure, to process, to get the ball out on time. And if it wasn't time to get the ball out, then he knew when to scramble and pick up as many yards as he could with his legs. There's something there. I, I'm The arm is not, I'm going to say NFL standard. Uh, I think, you know, he's definitely on the weaker sides of, of arms in the NFL. His throwing motion is absolutely ugly. You know, it's not a pretty natural motion by any stretch. He runs like a toddler on a sugar rush. When he <laughs> runs, it looks like he's got a full diaper. But you know what? It's effective. And it works. And, yeah. and, I'm, and, and at the end of the day, this is a results-based business. And I'm not going to sit here and, and judge the process. I'm going to judge the results. The results were positive. And so from what I've seen, I'm hoping he sticks around. And I'm hoping he takes that backup quarterback job. Because I think it's really important. And, and it's important when you think about the future and the direction of the franchise is that you're talking about a guy who was able to do that, not being in the offensive meetings. Now that he's worked his way to ding, to, ding, 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 ding to being like the third string quarterback right now. Now we're talking about, is it possible that the jets have found their backup quarterback for Zach Wilson moving forward for the next couple of years? Because when you look at the situation that we have on the offensive line, um, especially at our tackle situation, in a situation where there are struggles in the offensive line, you want to have a quarterback that can make plays with his feet, that can make up for that. And I think that that's what he gives the Jets. And so um, I love the fact that he's on the practice squad. Um and I think that it, I think that he gives the Jets a huge security blanket. And and based on what he was able to do in the preseason, I'm excited about the possibilities of what he can be um, for the simple fact that he's just going to continue to grow week after week, learning from Flacco, still being able to have conversations and learning from Wilson and the momentum that he has right now as a Jet. He has good momentum. All he has to do is continue to do what he's been doing, take advantage of the opportunities that he's given. Um, but I really think that he provides a huge security blanket for the Jets at the quarterback position while Zach Wilson is out. I think so, too. I, I absolutely think so, too. I don't think he's going to be active week one. I think if both their other two quarterbacks being Flacco and white are healthy, that those are going to be the two they make active and he's probably going to be a healthy scratch, but I could also see them keeping him as a quarterback three for one of those red zone opportunities. And they want to run one of those read option plays and have a, a new wrinkle in that the Ravens didn't game plan for because they were expecting Joe Flacco. Maybe that's why they make him active. Maybe he gets in, he makes a play. Who knows? I, I'm not going to sit here and say I, I know 100% what's going to happen. I just tried to do that with the 53-man roster, and that didn't work out. So I'm not going to sit here and hedge my bets any further and predict what the Jets are going to do. But I do agree that I'm very happy that he's on the practice squad. And with another year now, 
of being in meetings and being at practice and learning this offense and getting chemistry with the receivers and, and not having to adjust on the fly. I think he's, he's only set to improve and, and we'll see how far he can improve. If he can improve enough to take that backup spot. I really hope he does. I, I think that's what's best for the team. And, and I think that he's also another example of just the job that's being done building this roster. There are a lot of teams that if they lose their starting quarterback, their season is over. Yep. All right. There aren't too many teams that can handle losing their starting quarterback and their backup quarterback. But to be in a situation where you say, hey, our starting quarterback is out. If we lost our second string quarterback, we have a third string quarterback that that that's serviceable. And we don't have to go out on Tuesday and scramble in free agency to try to get yep. another quarterback in here because we already have one on our practice squad that's shown that he can get the job done. So when we talk about depth, um, just as I continue to look at this roster, it's just, I, I just, I, I love the roster the way it looks. And, and we've talked about defensive backs. We haven't even gotten to what I believe is the heart and soul of this team this year and that is this defensive line man oh I yeah cannot wait i cannot wait to see these guys and and, and what they're going to do now this defensive line looks deadly uh, the new york giants game uh last weekend was the first time we got an opportunity to see most of the starters playing and they didn't disappoint to be fair they were playing against the giants backups but when you are a first string unit as highly regarded as the Jets defensive line is, you should dominate backups. And that's exactly what they did. So uh, I'm, I, it counts for something again, was it backup players? Yes, but it would have been a hell of a lot more concerning if they went out against backups and didn't look the way that they did. They looked absolutely frightening. Carl Lawson. Man. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> glad. I'm glad you saw because Holy smokes. Does he look ready to absolutely explode? Um, I know I said in my bold predictions uh, a few weeks ago or a few months ago, we did that over the summer that I thought he was going to have 12 sacks or more. I'm feeling pretty good about that right now. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty dang good about that right now because Carl Lawson looked absolutely frightening. And on top of that, and this is not hyperbole whatsoever, even though he played maybe two or three drives, that might have been the best game I've ever seen from Quinn and Williams. Quinn and Williams was unblockable. Yeah. Quinn and Williams was tossing people out of the club like no one's business. He got an opportunity on the sack they had on third down in the Giants' first drive. He gets a running start by three steps going against the left guard. And it was like, it wasn't even a violent bull rush where it looked that devastating because Q did the, the veteran move of I'm going to grab the guy's wrists so that he can't get hands on me. And I'm just going to move his arms out of the way. And he just forklifts him immediately, basically picks up the left guard by his wrists, picks him up and walks him back five yards into the quarterback, tosses him out of the way and gets the sack. Next drive on the second down, he's going against the left tackle giants run. I think it was an outside zone to the left goes against the left tackle completely and totally just dust the left tackle gets inside his chest throws him to the ground gets him out of the way goes in makes a tackle for loss Quinnen has talked about how he lost some weight this offseason 
And the analogy that he used is that when you're driving a truck and you have a trailer hitched on the back to it, that once you let go of that trailer, that you feel the car is a lot more maneuverable and he mm -hmm. feels like he finally let go of that trailer this off season. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. looks that way too. Yes. That's not, that's not hyperbole. He looks thinner. He looks leaner. He looks more explosive. He's just as strong that having Carl Lawson and Quinn and Williams on one side of your defense is, is terrifying for any offensive line. Then you put Michael Clemens and Jermaine on the other side. Oh my goodness. Who do you block? Did you see? Clemens? <laughs> oh my goodness. Clemens was out there looking like an animal. It's amazing how good he looks. I could not have expected him to look this good this soon. He's bl absolutely blown me away. You know, he, he, he looks good. And, and the one thing I will say about the defensive line that they have to improve on or it's going to create issues is they, I love how aggressive they are, but I think, but there were a number of times that I think that they were undisciplined in their rush lanes. hundred percent. During the preseason, there were too many times that we saw these quarterbacks make big plays with their feet. And that's something that we have to pay attention to this season um, with the defensive line. It's good to be aggressive. <clears throat> it's good to go for the sack. But the most important thing is that you maintain your rush lanes, especially against quarterbacks that you want to keep in the pocket. You want to make Lamar beat you throwing the ball. You don't want to allow the Ravens offense to get going and, and allow him to make a play with his feet. Uh, a third and seven situation where everybody's covered, but because we were undisciplined in our rush lanes, he's able to scramble for 16, 17 yards and picks up a first down. So those are the it's, it's things like that. We have we have an aggressive defense. And the person that's going to love the front four the best is whoever that slot corner is. Yep. Because you want those guys to get pressure on the quarterback. And when you have four linemen, all right, if you come into a situation where you don't know who your nickel corner is, maybe you have some 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 concerns about your nickel corner. When you have four defensive linemen who can put pressure on the quarterback and you want a team that has to rely on bringing your linebackers, bringing five and six players to get after the quarterback, <clears throat> that allows you to drop another linebacker in coverage. Now you can kind of give that corner, that, that slot corner some help. Um, it allows that safety to be a guy that can kind of help that slot corner out. So this defensive line is going this to me this is the heartbeat this is the backbone of this team this is the most physical this is the most aggressive unit um and they're very deep you take Lawson out you bring in Jermaine Johnson you bring in Clemens I mean you just it's 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 depth all the way across the board on the defensive side of the ball and and, and a lot of these games this year it's going to be on the shoulders of the defense I know we talked a lot early on about the possibilities of, of what this offense can do. The fact of the matter is, is we talked about that with Zach Thomas being the quarterback. Not, Zach, excuse me, Zach Thomas, thinking about linebacker with Zach Wilson um, <laughs> being, the, being the quarterback. With that said, these first four, five, six games, <clears throat> I believe these games will be one loss with First and foremost, our defensive side of the ball and our special teams. We have that has to be the backbone of the team until Zach Wilson gets back. Yeah, it's I couldn't agree more. 
I mean, if you look at it, this entire roster, the single most talented unit on this roster is the defensive line. If you just had to pick one, and I don't think it's really a competition when you just look at the, the total amount of talent they have, you're hundred percent right with rush lanes. That was one thing they had a problem with on the play that Michael Carter got an interception. I believe Carl Lawson was actually free off the edge and was coming close at Tyrod Taylor and Taylor was able to spin out and get outside. And that's when he was rolling out and eventually drew the pick. But you'd like to see Carl get in there, even though it ended with an interception, and that's great. You'd like to see Carl get in there and finish the sack. And Jermaine had a play later in that same game where he won with a double swipe to the outside. And the quarterback, I think it was Davis Webb at that point, was able to escape and evade and get outside. And eventually it was a throwaway. But we saw multiple opportunities for guys to get sacks. And they just missed because they were not quite getting the right lane integrity with their rushes. And this is a really, really simple fix for coaching point for, for those listening. They just have to stick to the upfield shoulder. And what that mm-hmm. means for anyone is the upfield shoulder, if you're a right-handed quarterback, when they're dropping back, you don't want to get any further inside than that outside shoulder of the quarterback, whatever that shoulder is facing upfield. That's kind of your, your bar of this is how far outside I need to be at least because it's a lot easier to force somebody back inside towards the rest of the defensive line. Then there's like we saw with Carl Lawson, you get too far inside. There's no one to the outside playing contain. Jermaine Johnson had the same issue where he comes in off the double swipe and he's trying to make a beeline for the quarterback and just got a little too greedy getting inside and was able to get, was able to be evaded and turn up, get up a pressure instead of a sack. That's an easy fix. And that's something I know the Jets defensive line, coach uh, and Aaron White Cotton was probably sending them through drills in the very next practice. And that's, that's something I'm sure is going to be a focus. It's extra important against mobile quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, because you don't want to give them any sort of lane to get through to, to squeeze through. And with his explosiveness and speed, you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. So that's going to be a problem. They're going to have to get fixed. I do think it is fixable. And I do think that the defensive line is going to have to win these games. The Ravens offense is going to be bread and butter running the ball downhill Lamar on the counter and the read options and, and the powers and the traps. And that's Greg Roman. That's what he does. He's not the best passing game coordinator in the world. You're not going to see him, you know, draw plays like Sean McVay or anything, but his run schemes, that's where he's going to make his money. And when he's got a quarterback like Lamar and an offensive line, like the Ravens do, that makes it even easier. So that week one, this is one of their toughest matchups, uh, offensive and defensive line. Week two in Cleveland, same is same deal. Cleveland offensive line is plenty tough. They got a lot of good players. They got Jedrick Wills. They got, um, who's their guard? Wyatt Teller. They have another guard that I think is really good. Joel Batonio. Um, you know, they got, they got some serious, serious talent on that offensive line as well. And their defensive line is strong too. The trenches are going to be where things are won and lost. Uh, I completely agree. And we've seen that that shouldn't be a secret to anybody because Robert Sala and Joe Douglas have preached that from the second they've been in the building is that it's all about the offensive and defensive lines. It's all about the trenches. We're going to try and be as strong as we can at the line of scrimmage, because that's where games are won and lost. So it shouldn't be a shock that the defensive line is the best town, best unit on the team. And that if their defensive line thrives, that the rest of the team is probably going to thrive. That's how this team is built to play. And with the defensive line, I think the people who are going to benefit the most and the guys that I'm looking at, especially in versus Baltimore and Cleveland, are guys that I was tough on in, in as far as when the ball is being run at them, and that's Mosley and Williams. 
I think Mosley and Williams, Quincy Williams, I, I cannot wait to watch them play against teams that have a fullback and who run ISO because that's going to be smash mouth back yep. in the day, 1980s, 1990s. Week two in Cleveland. Yes, yes. I cannot wait to see that. He looks good coming downhill, taking on these ISO blocks. And I think that with Quinn Williams um, dominating on the inside the way that he the way that he did this preseason, that's going to benefit the linebackers. So these guys are going to be able to get some good shots on running backs, uh, meeting running backs in the hole. So um, definitely the heart and soul and the backbone of this team this year is going to be the defensive line. But I cannot wait to see what Mosley and Williams does. Uh, with these, with those four monsters lined up in front of them, especially with Williams coming back in the type of shape that he's in, he looks like he is a man on a mission. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen, and, and and I've been part of, you know, you 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 have certain situations where you have guys who are on the team who it's about them. It's about them. It looks like this Jets defense, it's all about everybody being happy for everybody else. Yep. You see guys congratulating guys. If it's one thing that when I'm watching a team and I see a guy make a play and the first thing they do is they want to go towards the crowd, they want to do this, that, and the third. I love watching a team that when a play is made, those guys celebrate together. Mm -hmm. That they seem to be happy for one another. And when you have a team like that, and I believe, and I take my, my hat off to the head coach, when you have a team of players like that, you can't help but be excited for the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 110%. This is, there's not an ounce of selfishness on this roster. N- not that I can tell. Uh, you know, everybody knows their role. Everybody wants to see everybody succeed. Everybody works as hard as they can. They hold each other accountable. You know, they're not picking and choosing and looking for, you know, spots or roles or anything else even Denzel Mims just requested a trade because he feels like he should be a starter and he's gone out of his way to say I love being a Jet I love my teammates I just feel like I deserve an opportunity to play and that's it it's even the guy trying to work his way out is doing it in a nice way so there's that's that means something that says something it says something a lot about Robert Sala and the locker room that he is able to construct to have such a competitive environment that doesn't get problematic with people getting in their feelings or getting jealous or having guys not get along or not be happy when another guy succeeds. We don't, we haven't seen any of that. And I'm, I'm really, really happy to say that Quinn Williams uh, had one thing I want to talk about real quick before we get to Mosley's contract. Cause I think that's a good way to end, but Quinn Williams had a segment. I think it was one jets drive was the documentary. One of their documentary series, the jets have put out over training camp. And there was a clip of him talking with Lake and Tomlinson and the two of them very much seemed aware that they were the quote unquote leaders of their respective unit being offensive line and defensive line. Lakin Tomlinson comes in. He's the big money free agent. He's former pro bowler, been in the system, been with the coaching staff, you know, familiar with everybody. He's the top dog. He's the the one they brought in to be the solidifier. Quinnen knows that, you know, he's one of the longest tenured players on the team. He's one of their best defensive linemen, best players, period. And he's ascending, looking to continue to get to his next level. And the two of them were having this conversation. And it was Quinnen Williams who really, who really led things where he was saying to Lake and Tomlinson, he goes, you know, 
defensive line is my job. I got them. You got the offensive line. It's up to us to set the standard. We got to go out there when we're going against each other like we're gladiators. We mm. got to be going full force. We got to set the standard, show everybody, you know, what we're trying to build. If we can't expect them to get to our level, if we're not going to be there ourselves. And next clip, it cuts to Quinn talking to another defensive lineman. He's talking about Lake and Tomlinson and he's going, he's a pro bowler. I mean, that's incredible. I get to go against him. He can make me better. I hope I can make him better, but I want to go against him as much as I can. He's a pro bowler. He stopped Aaron Donald twice a year for four years. You know, he knows what he's doing. I can learn from him. I want to get better. I want to be the best. I want to, I got to beat the best to do it. And when your leaders have that mentality, Mm. when your best players follow that and lead it better than anybody else on your team, it carries. And so I credit to Quinn and Williams, all the credit in the world. I am praying that he one plays fantastic this year and the jets immediately resign him because yeah. it would, it would kill me to see him be lost in free agency and go to another team. I, I think he's one of the heart and soul members of this team period. And it would be a, a disaster if he wasn't on the team. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. All right. Let's close things out by talking about CJ Mosley, uh, just a contract structure restructure today. The jets have freed up. I believe it is roughly 14 million in cap space for this year. Um, I have to go back and double check that, but it's a roughly 14 might be between 12 or 14, but they've added a little more cap space. Mosley has one more year of guaranteed money on his contract being this year, 2022, that uh, base salary was converted to a signing bonus and then spread out over two years, uh, avoid years on the end of his contract in dead cap money. So for anyone listening, there's been a lot of confusion about what this means, what this means for Mosley's future, what this means for the Jets. To put it very simply and as simple terms as we can put it, this will be CJ Mosley's last year in New York. <laughs> and the reason it will be CJ Mosley's last year in New York is simple addition and subtraction. With this restructure, with the way the dead money rolls over for the next season, his cap hit for 2023, being next year, is now $21.5 million, I believe. It's at least $21 million. $21 million for a linebacker is absurd. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Lawrence Taylor wouldn't make $21 million as a linebacker in one year. That's just unreasonably unfathomable. It's not even worth discussing as a possibility that Mosley is going to stay on the team and make $21 million as a middle linebacker. Not a chance. That said, if the Jets cut him, it's not like they're going to free up the entirety of that $21 million. There still is that dead money on the cap that is going to count against it. The kicker is that dead money is going to count against their cap, whether Mosley's on the team or not. So his 21 million salary is his 17 million salary plus the 7 million or 4 million in base money uh, and dead money that would be added on if they were to cut him in 2023. If they cut him in 2023 and they do it as a post June 1st cut, those void years don't roll over. If they were to be a post June 1st, if it was a pre June 1st cut, then all of that dead money would roll in and it would count against their 2023 cap. And it would make it a savings of roughly six to seven million as opposed to a savings of about 10 million. Either way, the Jets will save money in the long run by cutting CJ Mosley in 2023. And outside of that, I don't think there's any chance in hell he'd be playing at any on any team with a $21 million cap hit as a middle linebacker. So it's, it's sad. I would know everyone would have expected more out of Mosley over his Jets career. And maybe this last year, he completely and totally balls out and we get one amazing, awesome season for the whole year of CJ Mosley in New York. I hope so. 
but don't get your hopes up and don't anyone think for a second this means he's sticking around it means the exact opposite yeah i um i went through this when i was with the raiders um restructured my contract and i think that this restructuring is is a good follow-up to what you mentioned about being able to sign Quentin Williams. Yep. I think that this is just the beginning of starting to move money to get him back. <laughs> and so I agree with you that I do think that this will be his last year. And if you're him coming into his last year and you want to get paid, what better situation to ask for than to have four hungry defensive lineman playing in front of you mm-hmm. where you get a chance to straight ball out and you get a chance to set the tone on the very first game of the season because you're playing against because you're playing against Lamar. So the restart- And your former team and the team yes. that drafted you. Yes, your former team, the team that drafted you. So I'm expecting big things out of him this year. I, I'm I'm expecting big things out of him. I'm expecting big things out of everybody but I'm really interested in seeing what this linebacker core is going to do. When I came in as a Jet, the linebackers that I had were Marvin Jones, Mo Lewis, and James Ferrier. Okay? <laughs> Yeesh. Those were the running back. I mean, those were the linebackers that, as a rookie, I got in, introduced to and I had to bang heads with um, for my entire time that I was with the Jets. These two guys this year, they have to be monsters. This is a great opportunity for those guys to go out there and be animals. And with the restructuring of his contract, um, when you watch him play, man, he's just a straight-up baller. Mostly to me, it's just a straight-up baller. And, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do. And these first two games, I really think that we're going to see in these first two games what we're going to get out of our linebacker core because it's going to be a big test for him. And so with him being restructured, I think it does free up some money to to start signing some guys, uh, specifically Williams. And I can't wait to see what the next move is as far as what they're going to do to free up some money to – um, to re-sign Williams and and I, I, I'm just I'm just saying it could come from the wide receiver position. I know where you're going with that, and I think this would be uh, an interesting thing to expand on. Is who else might be in danger of being cut next year? And you're talking about Corey Davis and his contract, which I think is a possibility because I'm pretty sure his guaranteed money only lasted two years. Sadly, so is Carl Lawson because his guaranteed money only lasted two years. He signed a three-year contract. This will be the end of two of three. Maybe if Carl Lawson underperforms, which I don't think is going to happen based on what we saw in preseason, but in the random crazy disaster event that it does, maybe he's a cap casualty. I think JFM is going to be restructured very soon because I think his contract, quite honestly, I have not liked that contract from the second it was signed. And I'm really bullish on on that. And I think once he gets through his guaranteed money, he's going to be restructured as well. They got to start freeing up some money for Quinn and Williams because he's going to take a, he's going to get a massive deal. He's going to get 
top five at his position money, possibly more. So you gotta, you gotta have the room to do that. And speaking of Mosley, cause you're right. Mosley is a baller. And I really thought he has played well this preseason so far in the little bit of action that we've seen him in the giants game, but still seemed active, still seemed aware violent coming downhill completely no regard for his body whatsoever just plays completely reckless in a good way you know there's all of that there the only issue with mostly last year is he just ran out of gas yeah he just he just ran out of gas he had a year he had two years off where you know you have an injury year which is you know let alone not playing you're recovering from a, a groin injury then you have the covid year and you're getting lighter to play in a, a robert Sala defense where you're going to be faster and not as you know middle linebacker and a 34 inside the tackles thumping with guards, you know, all of that, I think caught up to him because he played, he was playing some great football to start the year. Mm -hmm. And like the Titans game in week four was a masterclass by CJ Mosley. And then as the year went on, it just died out. So I'm hoping that this will be the year that CJ Mosley doesn't run out of gas and is able to keep that momentum going through the year. But I'll tell you Lamont, and this is where I want to end. I'm surprised we haven't talked about this guy as much on this show because he's quite honestly one of my favorite players on the entire team. Backup linebacker Jamie and Sherwood is going to take over CJ Mosley's starting spot at middle linebacker next year. And I think he's earned it. Mm. Where, first off, the dude came back from an Achilles in nine months. Torn Achilles in October, at the end of October, and he doesn't even miss any time in training camp. Comes in fully healthy was clearly in my opinion and i think as we saw about based on the cuts that they made that that this got backed up as well clearly was their third best linebacker Mm -hmm. when you look at the difference in development between sherwood and another guy that they got that they cut and subsequently signed to their practice squad who was drafted the same year another converted safety into a linebacker being hamza nasraldine their development were on two different stratospheres Mm. Hamza had no clue what he was doing. He was unaware in coverage. He was unaware in alignment. He didn't know where the ball was going. He struggled to get off blocks. He struggled to play coverage and and be aware of what was going on around him. When the two of them were on the field in the Giants game, I remember watching this specifically because it stuck out to me that much. Every single play, practically, they were on the field in the Giants game. Sherwood had to tell Hamza where to go to get aligned that Sherwood was already in his spot, ready to go, checking the rest of the defense, making sure everyone else is in their spot and seeing this guy who was aligned wrong and being like, okay, let's go. The offense would run, would run a shift and they'd switch the strength of their formation. Sherwood would be the one grabbing Hamza by the shoulder pad being, come on, move over here. They shifted. We got to shift, move over here. And it's what I saw out of Sherwood at Auburn, which I didn't see any of his tape before the draft, before the Jets drafted him. It just wasn't in my list of players that I got to as a, a fifth round safety. And I looked at his measurables and I saw 6'1", 217, 47440. Okay, we're going to convert him to linebacker, but that's still not quite the mold I was expecting. You know, what, what is it with this guy that, that, that has Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbrich, who are some excellent linebacker coaches, so excited? Then I put the film on him at Auburn, and it immediately stuck out to me why. Jamie and Sherwood is a brain. His ability to process and his ability to understand defensive football is excellent. And I know this for a fact, Lamont. I've spoken to his high school defensive coordinator. I ran an, I wrote an article for JetX after they drafted him last year. His high school DC ended up reading it and he messaged me and I was able to talk to him. I still message this dude probably two or th- every other month, two or three times, you know, 
every time Sherwood's in the news, we're talking. And <laughs> and I spoke to him directly and I said, well, you know, what is it about this guy? What, what's, what's so great about him? And he goes, well, first off, he's one of the best people I've ever met. Uh, he's babysat my two sons, if that tells you anything. So I go, okay, great, got a good character there. He goes, his attitude in the weight room and his work ethic is the best I've ever been around. His, you don't have to tell him to work. He wants to work. He wants to work extra. He wants to put in the time. He's not loud. He's not flashy. He's going to come in. He's going to do his job. That's what he's going to do. He's not going to complain. He's not, he's always going to do is come in and work until he knows what he's doing. Okay. We see you tear an Achilles in October. You work yourself in silence all the way back to be ready by training camp and you're perfectly fine. And you did enough development in that time to be clearly the number three linebacker. You were talking about development and ascension with Strebler. We need to be talking about it with Sherwood too, because you're coming back from an injury. All you have time is mental reps. You're able to rehab enough to get physically healthy, get in physical shape. And the way he played in this preseason gave me a lot of hope for the future. He was very aware when he comes downhill, he comes downhill with authority. He was aware in coverage. He was snappy when he triggered, he triggered quick. He's tackles, he wraps people up. They don't move after you, after he hits them. I was, I'm very, very hopeful for him. I loved what I saw at him out of him at Auburn at Auburn. He literally played practically every position on their defense, except nose tackle. That's not a hyperbole. There was a game he had, I believe it was against Georgia, his sophomore year where he plays in the game, middle linebacker, outside linebacker, outside corner, slot corner, free safety, strong safety, and defensive end in the same game. Mm. One guy playing all of those positions and having to know the roles of all of those positions, did it without a beat, did it without skipping a beat. Now he gets to be in one spot in New York. Everything seems to be going right for him. So yeah, CJ Mosley's probably not on this team next year. I'm fine with that. I, I listen, I agree with everything that you said, and it goes back to, and, and I've been saying it, and I'm going to continue to say it about just talking about the great job that they're doing. Um, you know, we talk about the coaching staff. You know, I mean, my hat goes off to the scouting department. Agreed. Um, and, and the job that they've done. And I, I mean, he's another guy that, that when we talk about special teams and we talk about how significant special teams is, he's a backup linebacker, which means he's probably on the punt team and he's probably on the punt return team. And he's probably Mm -hmm. off team. Yep. He's a guy that's probably also uh, a blocker on the kickoff on on the kickoff return team. And, And you said it for a guy to play that many positions in one game, you, you hit the nail on the head. He's a brain. And a guy may not have the speed, the 40 time. He may not have the, you know, the fast agility time, but the guy who is the brain who can slow the game down becomes a lot faster than the guy that runs the 4-4. Because if you can run a 4-4, but you're unsure, your 4-4 drops significantly. But when you, run, when you run a 4-7, but you can process the play. You know what's coming before it's before it's coming. So you're able to get there a lot sooner than 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 the blockers anticipating you to get there. That's how you slow the game down. And for him to be able to have that, you've seen the tape of him in Auburn. We we've all seen what he's able to do throughout the preseason. It just it, it just continues to echo the depth that this Jets that this Jets team has. And the other thing, and 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 I'll end with this to to a point that you made about C.J. Mosley running out of gas, I think that this is where the offense is going to help out also. Mm-hmm. 
if your offense is able to stay on the field, you're not having a bunch of three and outs and you're not having turnovers. It allows your defense to stay on the sideline. But if your defense is on the play for 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives, and then they have to come right back on the field because your offense got a three and out, that's going to wear a banger down like a Mosley. That's going to wear most people down. And so when we talk about Mosley, when we talk about Sherwood, um, both of those guys, along with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, along with uh, Quincy Williams, we got three bangers at the linebacker position. <laughs> we got yeah. three bangers. Three headhunters. Yes, you got three headhunters in, in, at, at the linebacker position. And it's just another reason to be excited about this season. It really is. I, I'm, as we sit here roughly a week ahead of the season, I'm, I'm getting giddy. I'm, <laughs> I'm really, uh, it's really starting to get to me. You know, the college football has started preseason's over. We're through cut day and it's just the last handful of days. I got my fantasy draft for jet X tomorrow night. I'm excited to go steal all their money for the second year in a row. So there's, <laughs> it, it's in the air, dude. It, it's getting so close. I'm so excited for it. I'm thinking Lamont, the next time the people hear from us will be after the jets first game against the Baltimore Ravens. So I think a good quick way to actually go out here and end, as we say, for seven times every time on this show before we actually end. But for real this time, I think a good way to end would be to go ahead and give our uh, score predictions as things stand ahead of week one. So I'll go ahead and lead things off. And I'm hoping that my powers as an astute jinx can, can show their ugly head here. I just can't see them beating the Ravens. I just think they're too talented. I think this is... Quite honestly, the Ravens are not the most talented team the Jets are going to play this season. I think this is one of their worst outright matchups. I just think the Ravens specifically are built to beat the Jets at what they're good at. I'm hoping to see improvement in the run game, but the Ravens offensive line is great. Lamar is a problem. Roman's an excellent play designer. They have some great tight ends that can block and catch passes and, and create problems. We know how the Jets struggle to cover tight ends. We're worried about Flacco. The Baltimore defense is loaded to the teeth. They probably have the best secondary in football. Offensive line is going to be gelling for the first time, you know, second time in game action playing at all after Dwayne Brown just played in the last preseason game and was only there about a week before that. <laughs> it's going to be a tough week. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't think that we're going to be sitting here going, same old Jets, you know, look what happened but I just think the Ravens roster is too good. I think they're too experienced. I think there's too much continuity. I think Harbaugh is too good of a coach. And I just think it's a really, really bad matchup. So I'm going to put my down, put down my official prediction as 21-17 Ravens. Man, that goes hand in hand. I, I don't know if I really have a score, Um. But I do think that this is going to be a low-scoring game. I, I, if I'm taking a bet in this game, I'm going to go with the under. Um, Smash, that's our bet of the week. Yeah, first bet of the week of uh, uh, 2022. Smash the under. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm going to I, I think I'm gonna go with the under. I think when you look at the nature of Baltimore's offense, it is based on explosive plays from Lamar. Um, you know, they will hit Andrews down the middle of the field. But I think that because the Ravens run the ball and they're so run heavy, those are things that are going to eat the clock up. 
Uh, yep. And I think that offensively for the Jets, it's going to be a more methodical because, you know, you, you're going to get in the huddle. You're not going to see a whole lot of um, you're not going to see a whole lot of no huddle offenses and things of that nature out of the Jets for the first game. And you talk about the Baltimore Ravens with their special teams. I said it earlier in the show that this Jets defense, when I look at them, they kind of remind me of the Baltimore Ravens with regards to how fast they get to the ball. Um, so I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have a score in the game. Um, I did say that the Jets would go two and two against the AFC North. And I'm with you. I just think that this is, this, this is a tall task for the first game of the season, but this is a game that is going to be very beneficial for the Jets because you're going to get so much teach tape off of this first game because of because of the things, the challenges that the offense of the Ravens, the challenges that they present, but also the challenges that the defense presents. This is going to be big for these wide receivers, Corey Davis, yep. Wilson. It's going to be critical that these guys are able to beat man-to-man coverage. It's critical that they're be able to beat, um, that they're able to get open that they're able to make the tough catches. And because of that, I think that this game is going to be, um, I think it's going to be an under. I think so too. I, I, I hope that I'm wrong and I hope the Jets can pull off the upset and, you know, everyone's happy after week one. But even if they don't, I like you said, I do think it is going to be good in the long run because this is going to be a situation. I, honestly, I can say this with confidence based on the culture that this team now has and the, the fight that I've seen out of them. Getting hit in the mouth early is only going to piss them off more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> getting, hit, getting hit in the mouth early is only going to make them that more angry, make them want it that much harder. This isn't going to be the, the Jets teams of the past where they get way too hyped up on themselves and they think they're all great and they go out and they get stopped once and that's it. They're done. They've been killed. You know, we suck again, same old Jets, and that's it. The rest of the year is over. Not this team. Not mm. anymore. This is, I think you're going to see a Jets team go out and fight as hard as they can against Baltimore, come up short, and walk into Cleveland ready for to, to kill people the next week. I, I do not want to be the Browns week two. That's all I'm going to say. I'm with you 100% on that. I'm, I, I can't wait. And and I look forward to to watching this game. And I can't wait to do the show after this game because just as it's a lot of teach tape for them, it's going to give us a lot to talk about and break down for our fans to look forward to for the remainder of the season. Absolutely. I absolutely cannot wait to have some new things to talk about. This has been great throughout the preseason where we get to cover live new games. We don't just got to come up with stuff to kill time over the summer. It has been awesome. I'm glad that it is over. I'm very much looking forward to the season. Lamont, thank you for being here with me. Everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. You can follow the show at B-L-E-A-V underscore in underscore Jets on Twitter. You can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. And you can find Mr. Lamont Jordan at Coach Jordan 34. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening. And we will be back real soon to review the Jets week one, hopefully with a win. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.